having them post three times about your product is not gonna, I don't care who they are, is not gonna get, nine out of 10 times is not gonna be ROI positive. It's like leveraging it from top to bottom and using all their mediums is how you will truly unlock the value. You integrate them into the brand, you will get ROI. Because people buy from people and not brands, period, in the story. That's right. Love Your Brand Podcast. If you're looking for real conversations with real people, you're in the right place. Let's go! All right. <laughs> What's up, everybody? What's up? Welcome to the Love Your Brand Podcast. Today, we've got Mr. Ron Alford, hailing from Greenville, South Carolina. We call it Cacalac here in the Carolinas. Husband, father, serial entrepreneur, influencer, coach, and speaker and the host of the Radcast, the number one marketing and business podcast on Apple. From humble beginnings to radical rock star, we are very blessed to have you on our show today, Ryan. Welcome. What's up? What's Happy up? Happy to be here. Good to have you, Ryan. Hey, this is a big day. Big hey, tonight, Carolina right? boys. I, yeah, I'm all about, you know, the Carolina crew. We got a Gotta stand tall, stand strong. That's true. <laughs> Jason said Greenville, but uh, I kind of say Greenville. Are you a Greenville? Greenville, Green- Greenville Greenville, Green G Vegas. G- you know. Vegas there it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I call. It. I call it G Vegas. That's right. <laughs> I love it. My uh, my mother in law still comes down once a uh, once every two weeks and uh, shoots a commercial. Uh, gosh, I forgot the company. It's a uh, Furniture company. They've been there forever. Like, and uh, they've, they've just been doing uh, uh, commercials for like the last 20 years. I think I know who you're talking about. Is it like yeah. a furniture and electronic store? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Why am I? Is she like a <laughs> short-haired blonde woman? Yeah. 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 Yes. What is that? What the Amazing. hell is that on Woodruff Road, Sawyer? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Corner of Woodruff Road and Roper Mountain. Anyway, we give them some look. We give them some free advertising. If there you know, we I go, it. I don't know why I'm blanking. Um, <laughs> I want to, at first, I want to say Jason, but it's not Jason's. That's a more of a chain. But yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's no. hilarious, uh, Ryan. I uh, the other day I, I pushed out you know a little graphic to promote this episode, and a buddy of mine, a good friend of mine, she was like, "You're having Ryan on." She's like, "I did contract work with him last year on a project." I don't know if you remember <laughs> a girl named Bell. Oh yeah, Bond yeah. Bear. Love Bell. Yeah. Bell. yeah, know her well, and um. She texts me when she saw it. She's like, yeah, I know those guys. I'm like, awesome. I'm like, well, listen, tune in. Yeah, man. What a small world. Yeah. Yep. So your your story, Ryan, it, you know, I'm I'm a big fan. It really resonated with me. You know, when I when I read your story, it reminded me a lot of a lot of myself growing up, older sister, humble beginnings, uh, just kind of grinding it and and and, and doing doing my thing in the marketing industry for the last 20 years. Um, so, that's so, it, brother. Southern boy. <laughs> Jeff Lynch was the name of the uh, <laughs> furniture. I had to have Sawyer look that up. I'm like, that's going to bother me the whole episode. I'm, gonna be, I, I'm that kind of guy. Like, so I'm going to sit here, you know, I'll, I'll be in the mode, but I'd have to, I'd be, be lingering. It's yeah, done. Man. I feel better. You were zoned out. You were just like, who is that? What is that? That's it. That's it. Yeah. No. Yeah, man. But would you mind just sharing a little bit about yourself, Ryan? Maybe uh, yeah. a little bit more on top of what I uh, added in the intro. Yeah, man. Listening. I mean, 
I'm a Carolina kid. I mean, I grew up in South Carolina. I was born at Greenville General Hospital. Yeah, like <laughs> Greenville's become, you know, kind of the hot city of the yeah. South or one of them. Very hot. Both, yeah. both figuratively and literally. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is South Carolina. Sticky. And uh, <laughs> it's sticky at times. It's a little cool now, though. It's been a cooler winter. But, um, you know, man, grew up here to the, you know, it's, Second, the first I had an older sister, and so there's only two of us. And you know, I was had two parents that were serial entrepreneurs, but also worked for other people and grew up. I mean, humble beginnings. I was, you know, there's not like a, I don't know, you know, a lot of people grow up and there's like this obvious path to, you know, handing off the company business or, your father was all, you know, we've seven generations of lawyers. We have four generations of doctors and, you right. know, a history of education and success. I mean, yeah. look, Alford's had a good name, but it was a good blue collar. Like my grandfather sold a little bit of everything and, you know, it was in the manufacturing type stuff, working for other mm -hmm. people. And, but then my dad, you know, growing up had, you know, six or seven different jobs and kind of climbed, you know, with the great American story, you know, like was not a college graduate. He was served in the air force, but was always good at a lot of things, adaptive and entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I watched my parents, you know, grind mm -hmm. while I grew up and, you know, gave us a nice low middle class. <laughs> I stopped mm -hmm. short of, you know, always do ask, you know, like what did you grow up? And, you know, I started to say middle-class, and I don't know what makes, uh, look, I didn't want for every meal, but I tell you what, you know, when I hear some middle-class stories, I'm like, that was not me. That's the right. <laughs> it wasn't right. quite there, <laughs> you know? So yeah. I don't know what the grades are of all that. Let's just say, I, you know, it was humble beginnings for sure. And oh, that's, that's uh, I told the story this, this weekend uh, with friends, you know, we were talking about cars. I forgot what it was. And, and people were talking about, you know, what car they grew up or their parents had and all those kind of things. Well, I mean, I, my, my mom drove me to school th up until like middle school in a 72 Dodge Dart that. Dude, my dad had that car. <laughs> <laughs> that, let's just say it took about 90 seconds to turn off. That that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So whatever class that puts you in when you're in fifth, sixth grade, <laughs> that's what class we were in, you know? <laughs> and so anyway, man, but look, but my parents climbed the, the corporate ladders at different places and, and did well, uh, considering either one graduated from college and, um, I had a good life and played sports and, you know, anything I needed, I had and everything I wanted, I still wanted or, you know, got some of as we kind of, you know, went through life and ended up going to Clemson University and was one of the first to graduate uh, in my family from college. My cousin and I kind of debate this because he's a lawyer in Columbia. And I say that, you know, his didn't really count until he, I think he technically graduated a year ahead of me, but then went to law school. So I was like, I was collecting checks while you were still going to class. So uh, I'm going to. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. So, uh, but nonetheless, uh, went to Clemson. And I will say, uh, you know, with all that, you know, some kidding, but a lot of truth. Um, I think it makes me feel better about some of the struggles, like being jovial about it. Like, because they weren't, 
life or death struggles, but it was just, you know, watching parents, you know, rub two nickels together to make it all happen. You know I mean? And we were fortunate. We didn't go through a lot of trauma or anything like that, but you know, they, they helped put me through Clemson. I paid a lot of my way through school, literally <laughs> had student loans that I didn't pay off. So I was four years old, mainly because it was like 1% interest, uh, not because I couldn't afford it, but it was more just if the government wanted to pay the, you know, the freight, I was going to let them do that. Yeah. And, uh, but I will say I was fortunate. I was, I started in marketing day one at Clemson and was a marketing major. I knew sales marketing business was my path. I grew up very entrepreneurial driven, um, always finding different ways to, you know, if I didn't get I I wasn't always given what I want, but I'd go get what I want, you know? So I'd make it happen, whether it was baseball cards or right. You know, yard sales. And, uh, went to Clemson and marketing major and came out of Clemson. And ironically, I don't know if I've ever told the story, I tell a lot of the same stories, go on shows. So this is the first, uh, my high school sweetheart, uh, girlfriend, sweetheart. That's that, that, that makes you South Carolina and, uh, old at the same time. <laughs> one word. <laughs> my high school sweetheart. sweetheart. Oh yeah. Uh, we are. Uh, oh, bless her heart. Uh, <laughs> bless her heart. <laughs> Not many people would get that. But we get yeah, that. exactly. Uh, I actually was working in an ad agency. And, you know, I guess it probably says something about my character that uh, my high school girlfriend who proceeded to dump me the first semester of college, greatest thing that anyone ever did for me, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she was working at that agency when I graduated from Clemson. And uh, they had a position that opened and I applied and she put in a good word for me. So, again, probably says something that your high school girlfriend that, you know, you hadn't been with in six years or whatever <laughs> referred you. And I got my foot in the door at Irwin Penland at the time. It, they had about 70 employees. It was still one of the largest, if not the largest ad agency in the state of South Carolina. It's now known as EP and co gone through a few ownership changes and things like that. And I started as employee 71 as a junior account executive in 2001. Nice. So about three months before 9-11. Uh, and so uh, it was, that was a, a weird feeling, by the way. You know, three months in your job, watching all that go down on the TVs. Yeah, it was right. a strange experience. Luckily to, um, you know, not have experienced that because I, ironically, eight years into working there, I moved to Manhattan a block from where that happened. Wow. Uh, is where I was living. Um but yeah, I started as a junior account executive. I worked for seven or eight years, promoted seven times, went from junior account executive to VP director of accounts over an eight year period. I was not the world's best account person. <laughs> I was one of the world's best sales, uh, smart, understood the way the business worked, uh, customer service and like hybrid probably mm -hmm. person, uh, in the agency. And, you know, I was not the micro detail guy, but I was all, but I understood the macro, the big picture. I understood how the agency made money. I very quickly, you know, watched and I watched a lot of my peers and my bosses there who worked really hard and did a lot of the things by the book. 
And I was like, but I understood. I watched, I was like, I saw how it all worked. You know, like I could yeah. see it. I was paying attention, like what my boss's boss was doing, what they, what, what mattered to them. Mm. What matters to your boss's boss is what matters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're in an organization. And so I paid attention to that because it's, a lot of times we get caught up in what we think matters. And when you work for other people, what you think matters a lot less than what your boss or your owners think matters. Right. And so, and so I worked there and, you know, was blessed to work on some big brands, you know, worked Verizon wireless, Apple, Motorola, Samsung, um, Budweiser indirectly. Uh, and then, you know, got promoted all these times. And then, you know, EP decided to open a New York office. It strategically made sense with some clients that they had. And one of them being Verizon wireless and Verizon came to my boss and said, we want Ryan in New York. <laughs> wow. That did two things. It, uh, it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> it didn't, well, it did three things. It scared the shit out of me. It didn't make my wife at the time very happy, but it also opened some incredible doors for mm-hmm. my career. Um, I'm a risk taker. I was a risk, I was born, you know, you know, there's the risk. If you look up risk adverse, it's, it has a picture of me with an X through it. Like, <laughs> that's what I would say. I'm just not, I just don't, I just don't really, it's not that I'm, a, I'm not like a jump out of the plane kind of guy, but like, as far as like business risk and those things, I don't worry about like how much money's in my bank account when I'm 82 years old. I worry about what I'm doing right now. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I think that's the best way to describe me. It's not because I'm irresponsible, but I think so many people plan for situations that are not guaranteed to happen. Mm, that's true. <laughs> I, I operate in how can I both responsibly, but irresponsibly make the most of the moment. And so nonetheless, I, I took the job, but it gave me a lot of leverage. Let's just say when your largest client at your agency says, we want so-and-so at so-and-so at this date and time, it gives so-and-so a lot of leverage. <laughs> that would be me. Absolutely. And you're, you're so-and-so. <laughs> I'm so-and-so. And so I got to name a lot of things. And, uh, you know, it, I mean, of course I couldn't just go, oh, yeah, pay me a million dollars, you know, like, yeah, right. I'm not saying that. But I what are you like early twenties, mid twenties at this time? I'm 27, 28 years old. And so it, I got to kind of name my number, name my living conditions. And I got to leave, I got to keep my house in South Carolina and got a pretty much all expenses paid living experience in New York for six years. That's impressive. And so while getting to get to work with the, best and brightest talent in the world in, in creative on Madison Avenue, uh, while working with Apple, Verizon, Samsung, Motorola, ushering in the smartphone and technology eras and, you know, had a client that believed in our agency and us and our team, but fundamentally believed in me and leading it and guiding them through, you know, our segment of that piece of business. Verizon Wireless had like 20 agencies, so we weren't the only agency. But, you know, and got to go there and 
I mean, I'd already cut my teeth, but I got to live and breathe and experience things that very few 28 year olds get to do. And, you know, I had scal I mean, scrapped, scraped, clawed my way to where I was at the agency and, and gave him, given myself that opportunity, but I'm not blind or misguided in thinking some fortunate things transpired, you know, with making all that happen. And so lived in New York for about five and a half years and took what was a $3 million annual retainer for EP to a $45 million annual retainer. Anybody that works in the agency business that knows if you have a $45 million annual retainer with a client, there's about five of those in the country. <laughs> now they just don't exist anymore. That, yep, that right. large and did it through, you know, both. I mean, I, I I think the hybrid abilities of strategy, creative and account management, because that's where people ask me, Oh, what were you? And I mean, I have this discussion and I talked to Chris do on the future podcast and, you know, he's like, were you an account or, you know, like, he was, it's like a total agency person. <laughs> what department were you in? And I'm right. like, I was an account person, but you know, when you lead accounts, you really wear a lot of different hats. I mean, sure. I don't want to pretend that I was sitting in there as the creative director. But you become sort of, you know, the the judge, jury, and executioner of what your agency kind of represents for the client when you're at the highest, you know, account level slash client level. And so I was in a lot of creative meetings, a lot of strategy meetings, and had a great team, amazing team. I hired really good. I got lucky on some, unlucky on others, but we had a killer team. I mean, it was not just the Ryan Alford show. But we did and worked on the who's who. I mean, the first, you know, iPhone launch with Verizon, the droid campaign with Motorola. So it's ironic. I helped Apple and kick their ass all at the same time. <laughs> they loved every second of it. <laughs> wow. Wow. And so, you know, did that and it was a great experience. And then, you know, that kind of... It's like it's both between both life and work. The runway kind of ran out. Mm, right. It was 13 years at one agency. It's almost unheard of. Mm -hmm. um, for, especially for an entrepreneur person like myself. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I think everybody that meets me, once they get to know me, they go, I mean, oh, he's a true entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I am and I was. But I worked for other people for 17 years. And so it can be, you can do both things. Two things can be true at the same time. Right. And but EP was very entrepreneurial driven. Like it, it, they wanted people like me because they knew if they unleashed people like me, it would grow their bottom line, which it did. And so blessed and fortunate there, the runway ran out. It was time for me to leave New York. I had a wife that getting a divorce, had two kids and was not going to be, you know, a dad living in New York with kids in South Carolina. My wife was moving back. So I moved back to South Carolina and worked for a couple other agencies and startups that crashed and burned, which we can talk about. I'm happy to talk about. Uh, and then started, you know, Radical, my ad agency six years ago, same time I invested in really three things. The Radical being the agency, the foundational business and, you know, everything that I'd learned and everything I knew starting the agency with some core beliefs, the Radcast, 
and my personal brand. You know, I knew and saw and watching enough, you know, there were enough examples of all this step, this happening, uh, podcast growing, personal branding becoming important. And then of course, just, you know, agency business. And if you put those three things on a chart time and money slash revenue over, they're almost identical, you know, growth, mm -hmm. uh, and one th and all of them feed one another now. Right. right. So I know that was long winded. I know podcasts aren't always great with one person talking all the time, but uh, <laughs> no, you know, great, I wanted right? to give some depth to the, to the story. No, we appreciate that. I have a quick question. Um, so I went to NC state and I think we're about the same age. I was probably down there at the football games. We were probably there around the same time, but if you, I was listening to one of your recent episodes, you're talking about now, you know, I mean, we have access to everything. You, you go on YouTube, you can get a tutorial. You can learn anything out there and become anything you want to be. So if you had to do it all over again, would you go back to college or would you go straight into like entrepreneurship? It's funny you bring this up. You know, as we talked pre-episode, I just left my, my oldest son, Clayton, who's in eighth grade. And it was all about, you know, you're making these decisions and choices for classes. And I would spend a second in college. I would uh, literally, I'm kind of a self-learned kind of guy anyway, taught that we didn't have the resources in 2000. You know, the internet had just gotten off the ground. You know, people think, I mean, things happen overnight or they're quick to change. It takes time. But, you know, in 2000, I mean, you know, you barely could scrape together the internet, you know, and email and right. all that. Shit. And so, um, but I would have, no, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to, here's what I would say. I would not go to college. I don't know if I would go to work for someone or start my own company. Yeah. I probably lean towards now because the entrepreneurial tools and journey are so much clearer mm. than they were like when I came out mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, but I wouldn't be afraid to work for someone else, but I wouldn't go to college. I mean, I, yeah. it's just, I think it, it taught me a lot interpersonal skills and people skills. I'd have 100%. to supplement that with like real life experiences. But again, with between masterminds and social get togethers and things, I think you could piece that together too. Yeah. You know, I think eight, nine years ago, I go, I think my answer was different, even though I, I had this, a lot of the same beliefs about whether or not college was important or not, but the social side, I wasn't sure about. But I think the last, you know, eight to 10 years with masterminds and social gatherings and things that are, you know, the offline online combination, I think you could piece together the social and interpersonal skills. So absolutely not. Yeah. And every, every time I uh, chat with like an entrepreneurial that, that did go to college, I ask that question, you know, because it's, it's so interesting. And I mean, the only reason I went to college is because it was kind of told hey, after high school, that's just what you do, but really didn't have direction on exactly what I wanted to do. And I remember I, I was one of those people that you remember going to the school bookstore and the books cost like a hundred, 150 bucks. Oh yeah. You could sell it for like $10. No one remembers that better than me. You just dodge dart guy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, that's right. that's right. My Middle mom class. going, asking this, the, the woman, really? That's really how much they cost. Right. And like, <laughs> yeah, you know, if you remember like uh, vacation with Chevy Chase, like when he's pulling out the money, we said, how much is that? You know, and he's like, how much you got? And it's like, right. 
she's sliding the ones back in her. her back in. <laughs> it's not enough. <laughs> Make it exactly. enough, boy. <laughs> right. Exactly. But I, I, I kept, I kept so many of those books, you know, that was 20, 25 years ago. I was in college. I kept those books because I was like, Hey, this is business and marketing. This is going to be so helpful down the road. It was like last year, I think I cracked open one of those books. It was so irrelevant, you know, because oh, I mean, look yeah. at 20, 25 years ago, like you just said, didn't have the internet, didn't have email. It was just getting started. No social media, you know, all this stuff around branding, you know, has just been completely different. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm right in the same boat as you. If I could do it over again, I, I would not go. Well, let's just say I didn't start World War Three today. Telling uh, with my ex-wife there and my son and the counselor trying to tell me, like, like you know, because they have these things on the screen, choose which one, you know, four-year degree, two-year degree. And they had a lot of things up there. I give them credit because I thought it would be like three choices. But it was a You're lot of this in eighth grade internship, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like just choosing the path. You're not having to like sign it in blood or anything, but it's like, what's, what are you thinking your path's going to be so that we can give you guidance towards what you think you're going to do? Yeah. Well, I stopped short of creating world war three by telling my <laughs> ex-wife that <laughs> my son probably won't go to college. If this, if the, if this trajectory continues, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but he probably won't. <laughs> Not because I don't want to pay for it. I'll give him 200 grand to uh, yeah. just come work with me. There you go. There you go. <laughs> exactly. But you said like um, your parents were both entrepreneurial, right? Yes. And I mean, did so maybe comment on that. They Did they ever like tell you like, hey, Ryan, this this is yours if you want it. You can come under my wing and like, like apprentice and learn and grow. Or did they push you towards college? Where were they at in your journey? You know, my parents were very uneducated on how, you know, <laughs> It's funny how it's changed. Like if you it's back to having that legacy, like my family didn't have a legacy of knowing what career paths look like. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they wanted me to go to college because that was like the popular thing to do, but they didn't know how to prepare me because they hadn't done it themselves. And to be clear, their entrepreneurial journeys were three side hustles on top of their day job working for someone else. Wow. Like my dad did end up running and owning a couple of his own companies. But then they kind of crashed and burned. And ultimately he was in sales when I graduated, you know, from high school, you know, working for a, a company doing as a VP of sales. And so, but while still doing trade shows for uh, silk flower arrangements, my, my dad was like one of the first people, I, I say my dad invented them, but I don't think that he really did. They probably were being made in China or somewhere else, but <laughs> he would get, you know, like silk tree, like trees, go get tree limbs that, looked really nice and shaved them all down and put leaves into them first to make like artificial trees that go into like restaurants and things like that. So mm-hmm. you don't have to keep up with watering them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my mom made silk flower arrangements. So they did a lot of trade shows. Both my parents are very artistic and kind of entrepreneurial. I think that's where kind of the creativity and I don't know, the hodgepodge of genetics <laughs> came in <laughs> to uh, the madman in front of you now. <laughs> wow. Awesome. Awesome. But, but it wasn't, it was not to answer the question. It was not like, son, you need to work for yourself or you can come work for me. There wasn't a family business to hand to me. Gotcha. That makes sense. Makes total sense. Um, don't know if you were about to say something. Well, no, I mean, uh, you know, similar, you know, when I graduated high school, I started a couple small businesses and then I worked for a couple small businesses. Oh. And it was later 
then I decided to go and take a two-year tech uh, degree in Charlotte for graphic design, old school, yeah. and we did typesetting and and everything else. And that's kind of how I made my way into into the industry. Um, had a girlfriend at the time. She was like, "Hey, I'm sweetheart, a, sweetheart, uh, <laughs> bless her heart." Um, <laughs> she was like, "You want to move to Charlotte with me? I want to go be a paralegal." I was like, "Sure, let's go." Um, what else do they offer? Well, they offer this and this and this. I'm like, I always loved art. Uh, I love drawing, working working with my hands. Um, loved art class. Barely barely passed all my classes, but <laughs> anyway, went and uh, fell in love with it, dude. It's like I just opened the door. Uh, got my two year tech degree. I went and interviewed, you know, ten or twenty other students. Um, uh, got hired at an entity. And then became owner within uh, about a year and a half. It just, I just gravitated towards it. You know, I'm a people person. And I, I think what you were saying about having a hodgepodge of skills, you know, it's like account rep, designer, creative, <laughs> uh, just kind of fell in, in my nature. And everybody loved my accent, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's accent served me well in New York. It, it like, it served me well. You, I could have looked at it as a weakness because, you know, I walk into rooms with all these New York people and clients and, you know, they'd hear me like say one sentence and they'd go, oh, we got nothing to worry about with this guy. Like yeah, you know, right. as far as like their work. And then by the time the meeting's over, you know, the client's eating out of my hand because they just want to hear me talk about something because my, you know, my accent's so unique. And, oh, he actually knows what he's talking about too. Damn. Right. <laughs> it was a Amazing. dangerous combination. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So, so Ryan, you said, was it six years ago you started your ad agency and then, you know, the podcast came from that ragcast. So like behind you, you know, you can see some of the guests you've had. I mean, big names, you know, Grant Cardone, uh, Bruce Buffer back there. I mean, how's yeah. that for an intro? If you got him to even do an intro for himself, but like, oh, yeah. uh, I mean, did y'all hear that? If you listen to his episode, he did, he did me. <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh yeah. Amazing. I've got that. I've all, I had it as the intro to the, and I probably should bring it back as the intro for the Radcast Cause he did a whole, you know, Radcast intro, personal oh, intro. For amazing. Me. Yeah. Good. Unasked for it was crazy. Oh, yeah. that's all. I'm, I'm going to check that out right after we, we tune out <laughs> today, but you know, what were your, I mean, I think it, it was a natural print transgression for you spending so much time in the ad agency that you worked for to start your own thing. I mean, you had all the experience that, that just makes sense. But with a podcast, you know, over the past decade or so, I mean, these have taken off and a lot of people, you know, are starting with a story to tell. I mean, what what was it that prompted you to start it and kind of what was your goal with it? How did it fit in with agency versus a podcast versus your personal brand and all of it? Yeah, man, I um, I saw the podcast thing. I, I don't know if I'm. I think I'm innovative, but I'm not necessarily like first to market guy. You know, I'm not like, oh, the first to try it. Like, I'm not, I don't want to pretend like I'm like that guy, but I am the guy that pays attention to kind of moving trends and innovations. And when things hit my radar, I take a second to digest them and go, do I believe, does that make sense to me? Yeah. You know, like, does that is a, like, and it, it, that goes with everything. You know, my wife would say, I read, you know, 1 million reviews, which I do. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's like, but so I need both validation, but also just my instincts. Podcasting made a ton of sense to me. You know, I grew up 
you know, in an era with radio and you had radio personalities and things like that. And so in a digital world and the technology and what smartphones allow with the, you know, transmission of those and the distribution, podcasting made a ton of sense to me because again, it's both active and passive. It's become video like we're doing now, but the audio form of being able to do it while you multitask from cutting grass to going to the gym right. to, to driving in the car, mm-hmm. whatever it is, you're passing a certain time, but you have active attention. You, you can, you can pay attention to multiple things. So that made a ton of sense to me as a medium. So when I was doing one of my startups that was in the car business that crashed and burned, lost about a million dollars. We can get down that road of later if you want. Like, oh, yeah. I'll, get, I'll get Cameron to get the tissue box. Um, but <laughs> the, uh, but I, I did a car podcast, the car show. And this is like was, 20 Was that how you started? Yeah. Okay. So it was, yeah, it was um, I Drive On Demand was the name of the business. We were Carvana before Carvana. Had the right, I had the right idea, the wrong yeah. implementation. And, uh, and so I, uh, started the car show, did it for, I did it for like eight months. It was, it didn't have any kind of audience. There was not, it didn't have any of the popularity that Radcast did, but I knew that, you know, kind of cut my teeth there, did some radio talk show stuff. So I kind of cut my teeth a little bit, saw it as a medium. And then, mm-hmm. so when I started the agency, it, I was in my mind, I was a chief marketing officer at another agency for about 18 months. It was clear the CEO and I did not see eye to eye. It was time for me to do my own thing, but I knew I was going to start the podcast. And so started the agency, named it Radical. And day in literally day two, you know, was recording episode one. So I mean, they started almost identically the same time. And I just saw and believed in the medium. And it, it, it was a few different things. I knew that the medium was becoming more popular so that there was opportunity to build audience. I wanted a way to stay sharp and to learn in the industry. And you don't, there's nothing that keeps you sharper than talking about it, right? Like talking about trends, talking about information, having to research things. Yeah. And so it created a discipline for me. Like in some ways you could set your your clock by me, but in some ways I'm not like, you know, the most, micro disciplined person in the world. So I wanted to create something that created discipline for learning and then meeting people. I knew having guests on the show was, that was kind of the thing still is the thing like this. And so building relationships, staying sharp on knowledge and in the industry and then building audience and building recognition, because there's one thing that I was the most, you know, if I got a lot of things right, you know, we, we can, if we can fill one episode with that, we can fill four with everything I got wrong. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I, you know, I came out of doing all these things. I had a great story, you know, like South Carolina kid goes to New York, kicks ass, makes a lot of money, grows a lot of brands, but no one knew the hell I was. No one. <laughs> yeah, I, right, mean, right. I was ghost land, you know, like, I had 300 followers on Facebook or Instagram and no <laughs> followers on LinkedIn. Like I'd done all this stuff and spent and mm-hmm. I was mad because like that was a trend that I saw kind of happening, but everything was going so good. It's just like, yeah, 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 I'll get to that. Who cares? And so, but it was crystal clear to me that, you know, the more people that knew me, 
the more opportunities that I would get. So, you know, I trademark it's, it'll be final soon. It, it, it pays to be known that, that word, that, that phrase. And so I knew that. And so I knew if I could elevate my own personal brand, the Radcast would help. And then starting the agency, I knew that there was an interplay of those three things because the podcast would generate leads both directly and indirectly, which we can talk about. Um, it would elevate my personal brand as it got more popular and it would give me a medium with which to create content. Hmm. I'm not ever going to be and never have been. And even to this day, guy follow me around with the camera guy. I don't want to, it's less about privacy, but more about like someone to think about like what I'm doing at all, you know, and, 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 that's sort of gone away. I mean, Gary V kind of did that stuff and no one's really necessarily doing that anymore. I think we're getting more of the highlights, which is good. The, yeah. the, the meaty stuff than just the, Oh, I'm in the cab, man. It's been a busy day. I'm having my coffee. Right. I'm going to work on some reports right now. Oh, I'll see you <laughs> in a little while. I mean, who cares? <laughs> like, you know? And I was right. never going to be that guy, but the podcast allows for, you're creating content just like we're doing right now. Yeah. And so exactly. I knew and understood again, that's what's back to like, I knew and understood like the medium enough. I was like, okay, I get it. I can make relationships. I can stay sharp. I can create an avenue with which naturally creates content that I can use to fill up social media and other things. And I mean, that's what podcasting does. If you do it right and you're thoughtful about it, even if you don't have the most popular show in the world. And I didn't, I mean, I had, I tell this joke a lot. I'm going to tell it on this one. <laughs> if you listen to every show, you've heard it. You know, for the first 10 months, I had 50 listeners, 49 were my mom. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, like, it's like, so it wasn't about popularity, but it was still allowing me to create content. And even if it yeah. wasn't the greatest content, it was content and allowed me to start to, you know, have something to put out there with my personal brands and things like that. And, and don't get me wrong. You know, I have... So the people behind me include Christopher Lockhead, one of my favorite people in marketing. You know, everyone, people cringe with the personal brand name. I get it. I understand. They, you know, people, call it whatever you want. I mean, we're all building personal brand where you, whether you like the name or not, That's and right. it can, you can call it whatever you want, building reputation. Yeah. Same and so you can either amplify that or not amplify that. And I didn't amplify that when I was in the pinnacle of things that I had done in the business. And I regret that. Mm. And, or you can now do it. And the more people that know how you feel, what you know, and what you have to add value with or for the more opportunities you will have. And so it's just, that's undebatable. I'll debate with you all day if there's personal brand content that sucks or if people sitting in front of the Lambo only and just the, all that that's so, you know, either fake or disingenuous or what, or just sleazy or whatever you want to call it. We can have that debate, hmm. but you can't debate with me that the more people that know your skill sets, that know your beliefs, the more opportunities you will have because someone will relate to you. Someone will want to hire you. Someone will want to listen to you. And all of that brings monetization and career opportunities. And so that's undebatable. And so I've long-winded answered your question, but 
I saw podcasting as just the facilitator of all of those things. Mm, I like it. it. It reminds me, I was listening to one of your podcasts. You were talking about three marketing kind of object- objectives in 2024. Yeah. Uh, the integrated influencer, the creativity, right? Yeah. Um, in the community. In the community slash yep. audience. Which are huge, you know, not not really rocket science, but I think, you know, a lot of businesses, you know, people probably listen to our cast are just businesses, uh, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, friends and family. (laughs) Well, I I don't know. I was going to ask because, I mean, you mentioned like in those 10 months, you have 50 views and 49 of your mom. (laughs) Like we when we started off, you know, I mean, it's like employees and family members and all that that are watching it. And, but we started, I started tracking like our YouTube analytics and the comments, like how haters, you know, came on so fast. It's like, how do we already have haters? We don't even have a following, man. <laughs> yeah. You're so doing I mean, good then. I, mean, right, exactly. I, I, I always say, if you get haters, you made it. So, hey, man. <laughs> right. But I mean, yeah. did you, did you have along that journey? Did you start having, you know, haters, um, you know, that were starting to comment on it or where did you start gaining traction and positive versus the negative feedback that you got? Yeah. You know, I'm really good about tuning. I'm either really dumb and blind or really good at, I think I'm just good at tuning it out. Like, (laughs) I think I felt the hate more in the judgment, like amongst like industry friends and, and things like, you know, with the personal brand and podcast stuff that was like, not because they thought it sucked, but they were just like, I think, I think when you have like a certain amount of success, and let's just face it, like, I don't know. Um, some things, you know, you're, you know, your own skills bring on. And then some things just by luck, goodwill, good fortune. I think you can get judged and assumed. And like, look, I'm a big dude. I'm six, five, 250 pounds. Like I'm a big dude. I have a big personality. And so like I get thrown in the arrogant camp already, you know, before mm-hmm. anyone knows me. Yeah. And and so then are you kidding me? Perceived arrogant, big guy that's mid successful, you know, going to start a personal brand, a podcast. There's just, it seems just self serving and self grandizing, you know, like not totally purposeful. Maybe it's just Mm -hmm. another way to pat myself on the back. Right. And I just kind of tuned all that out because I know that just kind of comes with it to this day. And, you know, I just knew that reputation, repetition brings expertise and look, the show got better. I got better. I listened to the show. Like no one probably listens to the show, not necessarily now, but definitely those first few years than me. I listened to shows over and over and over again. I digest, you know, like, is that interesting? Is that, do I sound like, not because I was like being critical, but just trying to learn. Mm. And so if you go listen, like one of the first, I don't know, hundred episodes versus one, I would dare you to you know, try to even tell me there's a, you know, it's even in the same ballpark. Yeah. I mean, and so learning how to ask the right questions, trying to make sure I bring energy and emotion. And like, you know, I think I started the podcast thinking, you know, I could be, you know, just myself and, you know, believe it or not, and I say this a lot. I don't know if people believe it, but it's true. I mean, I'm, I'm a extroverted introvert mm-hmm. and 
And so my natural kind of, you know, would just be, Hey, you know, guys, it's been a cool day, man. You know, it's Monday, you know, it's great. But that doesn't bring, you know, interest if you're listening, you know, so I dialed it up and not to be fake, but I'm a very passionate and energetic person on the inside. I have natural drives that bring that, that I don't have to display because I don't really give a what anyone else thinks. But look, if someone's going to turn the dial and listen to me, I need to bring it. You know, I need to bring energy. I need to make them feel like I care about it. And so I took a lot of those learnings and also I woke up like, I don't know, 18 months into it and was like, I wasn't trying to monetize immediately. I was doing it for the reasons that I said, you notice I didn't even say make money. Right. Yeah. When you asked me. And so, but I was like, okay, why am I playing small? I'm inviting like my friend's buddy, you know, and this guy and this girl, like, and that's fine. It wasn't that I, because I wanted to, I wanted to make them feel good. I wanted, you know, I was like, this is cool. I was like, I've done some really big things. I've got, I mean, I know a lot of people like, Mm -hmm. why am I not going big? Yeah, it's good. And so I went big. I I went from one episode a week to two episodes a week. I started inviting the Mark Randolphs of the world, founder of Netflix and just sending out a hundred DMS to, you know, whoever the highest people. And, you know, I had the ABC list, you know, if you spend all your time going after A-listers, you ain't gonna be able to fill up a show, you right. know, or show schedule because it, for every hundred, you might get four. And so you got to have your list, but you know, started just going big and acting big and not acting big price sounds wrong, but like making the show as big as what I wanted it to be and not necessarily as big as it was to that day. Mm. that's the unlock Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's the unlock for everything and let me be clear it's not fake it till you make it that's not what i said but if you don't act speak and reflect what you want to be you will never be that (laughs) and so that's good it's it's time to unlock that and i haven't looked back since and you know, magically, I mean, I don't, I'm not a big manifest guy necessarily. My wife hates that term. She's like, thinks it's, you know, voodoo. <laughs> and, it, and it's, you know, like, but I've gotten a little more spiritual, right. a little more, you know, like thoughtful about these things. I used to just be roll forward, like, I'm going to mow it down. I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> right. Great, great job, right? Way, way to grow. <laughs> I think I'm growing. I'm like, okay, I want to manifest this, you know, like, or whatever. Not, not really. I never said that word, but I did say, I knew I had to reflect. If I want anyone else to believe it, I got to believe it. I want anyone else to, mm. to, you know, and look, I had done a lot of things. I mean, I'm was so blessed and so fortunate to have experienced what I had done. It was time to stop being shy about that and like to really own that and, you know, go for it. And so, you know, the podcast is raised, 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 raised. And now we're consistent. I mean, if you look at the rankings are weird. I mean, any given day, we might be two or three. But if you look at the last six months, we're the number, we're number one in marketing and business. The average rating. I mean, six years, years ago, did you think that would ever be possible? Was that even on your radar? I did say the goal was to become the number one marketing show in the U.S., so you could say you manifested that. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I'll say. 
I'll say that Sawyer and Cameron and a lot of people before them and myself worked our asses off to make it happen. Yeah, and I like it. We're very disciplined. Um, and because look, I've done two shows for five plus years every week. Mm. It's a story. Like no excuses. Does it, it doesn't matter if we repurposed an episode here or there, whatever. No questions asked two episodes every week and have been consistent with it. And so, you know, we got better. The guests got better. The ratings get better. And now, you know, the goal is number one in business. You know, damn Dave Ramsey and people wanting to get out of financial debt is going to make it real hard to get there. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> seems to be in debt. This right. show is always number one. But we hit number seven over the holidays in all of business. Congrats. Pretty much unheard. Only probably there's two shows in marketing that are in the top 100 in business. And we're one of them. And we're number, we were number seven. I mean, we, we, we stay in the top 25 now of all of business. And we're consistently in the top 150 of all podcasts in the world on Apple. And That's awesome. I, I know how it happened, but I don't know how, <laughs> like, you know, I'm humble enough to know that, you know, what they say, the marketers, it, it, CEOs or CMOs always say, if I knew which 50% of my uh, marketing didn't work, I'd stop doing it. Yeah, right. <laughs> they just don't know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I know the formula and, you know, we do know the formula. There's a formula to it, but sometimes it just gets, uh, a little messy with knowing every piece of it. So I stopped worrying about that. Here's what I say. The better content, the, if I could put out the best content with the best guests, with the most interest, then it, it, everything else will come along. And, and it has. And if you start worrying too much about that, the rankings, and they matter. Don't get me wrong. I, you'll see me post about it. I'm like, you know, I'm a little Ricky Bobby. If you ain't first, you last, yeah. you know? So, <laughs> but Shake at the same time, <laughs> it doesn't like, I'm not thinking about it every day. It, yeah. Like I used to, um, cause I I'm thinking every day, how do we make the show better? Yeah. And I think if you think about that, then everything else comes with it. That's good. Like you said, you, monetization was never kind of your goal with it as you're getting it started. And, you know, it's all about producing that content and getting better and how you can learn, bringing guests on to provide value to your audience. So with that, when you started getting into sponsorships of the podcast, were, did sponsors reach out to you or did you feel that you were at a spot based on, you know, where you had grown it to where you started reaching out or a combination of both? I'll say this, never wait for it to come to you. Hmm. That is, uh, that is, if, if I write a book one day and I'm, I've like written half of like seven books, <laughs> there will be a book. I've got a couple of them. Um, that is, that would be in the playbook. Never, yeah. if, if you wait for it to come to you, you'll never get it. And so, Good. um, I did not wait. Uh, I started, you know, back to the playbook of going big and doing all that. I started piecing together all our stats and data and my personal brand. And so even to this day, we will get, I get a lot of, look, we get a hundred people a month that want to work with me, but none of them want to pay anything. So mm -hmm. they all wanted, you know, so not none of them, not 90% of them don't. And so, but we do a lot of our own outreach now. And then 
and we have the data to prove it. And to the brands that are smart enough that are playing the right game for the mm-hmm. medium, mm-hmm. um, we're working with, but yeah, you got to go ask for the order, <laughs> uh, yeah. and put it out there. Do you remember the first sponsor you ever got? Oh, I'm trying to think of the first one that actually wrote a check, you know, like <laughs> right. we had a couple, actually I do know, um, I'm surrounded by them. I'm almost embarrassed. I can actually hold them up. Our merchandise sponsor, Branded Bills, uh, who does all our merch and hats, yeah, sweatshirts. They were the first brand, I don't know, four years ago. And they paid and did a, we did a trade and pay. And so, and still work with them to this day and working, actually talking with their owner um, about a new deal for this year. So yeah, Branded Bills. Nice. You know, going back to the marketing piece, to the to the three uh, objectives you were talking about, the integrative influencer. Yeah. The creativity really struck me. Hey, the influencer did as well. Yeah, I see it. I'm like, man, I love how you kind of angled that. You really got to grab them and, and, and utilize them to the extent of your of your outlets, you know, bring them, bring them on a podcast, <clears throat> take them to a show. Uh, do a series with them, uh, engage with them more. Uh, yeah. People that that's the unlock with those. Like uh, people are like, yeah, influencer marketing is big in 2024. No, sh-. I mean, of course it is, right. but it's doing it integrated. It's yeah. like leveraging it from top to bottom and using all their mediums is how you truly unlock the value. Having them post three times about your product is not gonna, <laughs> I don't care who they are is not going to get, Nine out of 10 times is not going to be ROI positive. But if you, if they post for you, they write your newsletter, they have a blog post on your site, their name, image, and likeness is somewhere else. They show up for shows. They do product demonstrations. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. integrate them into the brand. You will get ROI because people buy from people and not brands, period. That's, in the story. That's right. I love it. I <laughs> and love I mean, it. marketing 101, I mean, this goes back decades, you know, it's, it's the human element. It's the human yeah. interaction. And I think so much, you know, our digital, what's happened over the past couple of decades. And now with AI and technology, people have taken the human element out. And so essentially we're going back to something that worked. We just have different platforms to where our influencers are now on Instagram and TikTok and leveraging these different vehicles. But it's the same stuff we've been doing for decades. Hmm. Spokesperson, <laughs> you know, yeah, brand Michael Jordan, just do it. I mean, you know, like it's, it's, you know, and I feel like that along with your bullet too, uh, rec- creativity. You know, we, our market in the marketing world, agency world, <laughs> it's been saturated, right? It's very yes. noisy, and yeah. every everybody is trained. They they just need the market, market, market. No brand strategy, nothing. Just just market. Yeah. You know, get to sales. Blah blah blah. Hit them, hit them, hit them. And I think what is it's sucked the creativity out of our out of our industry. It, we don't have the time. But and and companies and businesses, it's hard for them to understand the brand value, the ROI for something that's going to take you know two to five years of growth versus marketing for that quarter. Right? They're just. Yep. Like they're, hey, we need to make money. We need need to make money. We need to make sales. So that's kind of been sucked out. So I, I appreciate you kind of bringing that to to your show because, you know, I, I think that's something companies in general and brands need to relearn. They need to go back and say, we need to allow to give others creative, um, you know, freedom 
and yes. do more creative projects, spend more on, on creative projects, right? It's, it's fascinating. It's, it, number two and number three are, are you know, they're, number one was, you know, very tactical and like it's, and I believe it, number two and number three are very related. And yeah. number three is long game, short game, short termism. And it's very related to number two, creativity. And I would add it's two words, creativity and experimentation. Mm -hmm. And so in a world that's been dominated the last 10 years by performance marketing, and I hate for performance marketing, I'd like to punch whoever started that right in the face. <laughs> and <Wow>. yeah, <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. It's not because look, I believe in outcomes. I'm an outcome guy. Absolutely. Like, and you got to drive sales. But there's a reason there's marketing, there's a reason there's sales, and they're two different departments. Yes. Because what drives a sale in a micro moment when you can get to the bottom of the funnel with Sally Homemaker that needs paper towels right this second, and you can hit them on Facebook while they're in the store, great, wonderful. Performance marketing, wonderful. That could be a sub-segment of, of marketing. But what builds top of mind awareness for the long term so that when your brand is in their mind and they don't know why it's there because you didn't hit them over the head with a baseball bat while they were being interrupted on Facebook is a lost art and it still matters. And we're going to be back to the future because with, with cookies going away and some of the other stuff with privacy happening, yeah, the cream will rise to the top. Mm -hmm. with ideation and experimentation in the next five years. You know, AI can write up all the performance marketing you, you know, you can think of. Right. But creativity and experimentation for brands and big ideas will become more and more valuable and more and more important. So true. I think so many people don't understand really the difference between branding and marketing. They kind of just throw them in that same direction. And, you know, it's like, I think you brought up um, uh, in one of your episodes, the Duke's Mayo Bowl and how impressed you were by the brand, you know, to where there can, in the past, there could be a sponsor of a bowl game or any event. But I mean, how you, the way you, you um, spoke about it was basically every component of that whole game for three to four hours, they're, they're intentional with every aspect of that to where people are thinking about it. And the branding play was just brilliant by what they did there. 100%. I loved it. And it was a four hour infomercial without being feeling like an yeah, infomercial. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And they weren't scared. They're not scared. Like, you know, and, and the Mayo bath thing is not new. I think they've done that for a couple of years, but like you lean into it. Man, it's just weird. It's <laughs> right. a little bit. It's kind of strange. I grew up Damn. in the South, a little BLT sandwich with some Dukes on it. You kidding me? Like I'd run around <laughs> house naked five times for that sandwich. But you know what? Like, but let's be honest. You know, but they but they lean into it. A mayonnaise yeah. bath is like the grossest thing ever, but it's funny. It's yeah. you want to watch it. What happens? Like how long? He even said it like it was stuck in his ear for like four months. <laughs> <laughs> but they leaned into it. You know, they were they're willing to have fun. Then they did the Krispy Kreme donuts with like the spicy honey mustard sauce. Like, and he's sitting there. There. When do the announcers ever eat during the game? But they allowed them to do that. They leaned into it. The guy on the sideline, half the time he was talking, he had product in his mouth chewing it. And yeah. instead of being bothered by it, I was just sitting there going, 
Brilliant. Well done. <laughs> this is well done. I, you know, I don't know how many ultimately like that week, how many more Duke sandwiches they sold or mayonnaise, but you know what? I bought a damn case of mayonnaise. And I don't even know why the other day. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. <laughs> See, but that, that's brilliant. I mean, you think of like so often we think about the coolest brands, you know, like Apple and Aura Ring and all these things, you know, clean, sleek, you know, every aspect of it. This is band-aids we're talking about. And <laughs> yeah. now, I mean, it is creating like a movement, you know, based on how they're engaging and and how they're leveraging it. And to where, you know, they don't expect you to break away from the the game right then and buy mayonnaise, even though it sounds like that's what you did. <laughs> but I mean, to where the next time that comes up, you're going to remember Dukes versus Hellman's or whatever Mayo brands are out there. And you're going to go buy it because of that subconscious programming that happened through very good branding. Yes. And, you know, that they, they their tagline or their line is tangy. You know, like that's what it is like. That's kind of their brand, you know, like, like Tangy's kind of brings to mind, you know, a lot of different things, but they leaned into it. And uh, I don't know, you know, I was joking a little about the Costco thing, but I did order a sandwich the other day. It was after <laughs> the game. And I 100% they, I was like, well, what kind of mayo's? I asked them what kind of mayo's on there because it is probably more. I'm a marketer, so I just appreciate. It. I, I was like, I wanted to make sure it was Dukes. Dukes, <laughs> Duke it up, baby. Duke it up. <laughs> yeah, Tangy. I like that. I, I think that might be your next sponsor for the Radcast, right? Hey, they're local too. I mean, they're. I Are think, they? Yeah, well, they're they have a corporate headquarters somewhere around here, so uh, I need to get in on that. I think they do everything in house. Interesting. That's amazing. But, uh, Hey, I know we're, uh, we're coming up close to the end of time where, from, from where you are today, Ryan, I mean, what, what's next for you? Um, where do you want to go? You know, we're blowing out our podcast network. So, uh, the Radcast media network, we've trademarked the Radcast and, um, we're actually going to be helping shows. Like I, I say, you know, turning shows into businesses and, you know, building uh, our, a media network. We've added five or six shows the last month. And so this year is going to be about blowing up the bigger network and having shows across the gamut underneath that, which we're going to help take them um, both their audience higher, but more importantly, monetization, teaching them and the strategies and techniques that we've done for monetizing the show indirectly and directly. And look, the high tide raises all ships. The bigger yeah. the media network is, the more shows that are on it, the better it is. We're going to do what no one else has done. There's a million people that either self-produce or companies that produce podcasts. There's companies that get guests. There's companies that do all these things. We're integrating it all into one around the whole premise of business growth and monetization. Uh, because ultimately, if you aren't doing that, it's just a hobby. Sorry. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It's going to tell you it's just a hobby if you ain't building business from it. And An so it's a hobby. Yes. And um, it's not. And again, we still believe in the long game and the brand play. And we we believe everything that we're saying. Um, but you still got to have a plan and a path. And we've spent five years building it for ourselves. You know, and a lot of people <laughs> I joke sometimes I'll give the example. Your agency guys, you'll get this one. Nothing makes me cringe more than the social media agency whose founder and company pages have three followers and one post ever. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> well, who has more credibility than us in having the, uh, the media network? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's good. Yeah. And so we got the number one show. 
Sorry. <laughs> you ain't first, you last. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's not being arrogant. Uh, you, you're just speaking no, truth. No, it's just a fact. And so we've built the, you know, the credibility to go ask for that order. So we want to build that out. And then, you know, Radical, we're a boutique agency. We've been blessed. I don't, I managed hundred plus people in New York. I don't want to do that again. I mean, we yeah. could probably be 50 or 60 people at this point, but we got around 20 people and, you know, we, we get two clients in the door, one out the door, four in, two out. Just because of the nature of it, we keep we've we have a lot, a very little turnover with clients. We're blessed in that regard, but you know we we stay boutique, and so we we bring on brands that make sense for us that we think we can help. And so, so how do you feel about um, you know I read your web, website; it was freaking awesome. You know the whole B two B B two C thing, your H to H. I loved it. Mm. Um, about niching, about agencies really niching down and and targeting a certain industry or, or service. It didn't look like that you've kind of went that direction. I'm not that guy. I'm not yeah. the niche guy. I'm the now guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about niche. It's about now. Gotcha. Um, and ironically, my show's um, actually going to change titles with the media network coming on. I don't want to have a show that's the Radcast. And we got the Radcast media network. I don't want to feel like they're an underling. Uh, so, and I didn't want to go the full Ryan Alford podcast. So it, it's actually called right about now. Hmm. Um, and so, uh, and it's going to be, it's going to be at least three days a week. I need to just keep saying five cause I, I'm manifesting. <laughs> it's probably going to be daily. Uh, at least three, we're going to go, it's going to be more, more and uh, a little change, but look, all that, the keyword is now. Hmm. And we're a full service now agency and i believe in you got to help b2b or b2c but you got to do it through what works today and you need to be proficient in what works today mm. we are not yeah. a pr agency we're not a sports marketing agency we're a now agency we're mm. good at we do pr we know what needs to be done to help medium businesses to advance we social media video content podcasting, you know, the now stuff that can help build brand and drive demand. Mm. I like that. Yeah. Build brand and drive demand. Right about now. That's good, man. <laughs> right. Yeah. So double entendre there. Purposeful. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Now and right <laughs> are uh, uh, bold. There you go. There you go. Now, now so, and I don't mean political necessarily. <laughs> you can listen to me enough. You probably know where I fall, but I don't wear that sword. Man, uh, I, li I listened to that episode as well. I, I definitely feel you on that. Um, I don't think you have to, I don't think you have to cut anybody's head off nah. to, to share your beliefs. And if you listen to my show, like you'd know where I probably fall, but I don't have to, Berate, you know, berate the other side. My show's not about that. And, and I don't think you have to do that in general. Yeah, agreed. Breaks down communication. So your uh, co-working space, uh, is that where you, the social house, correct? Yep. That's is where that we're at right now. The, yeah. That's where you operate out of. Yeah. I take it. That's, that's yep. awesome. That's yep. awesome. 5,000 square feet look freaking phenomenal. Oh, uh, yeah. Anybody that comes to G Vegas? Come, come give us a shout. You can work out of here. Day, day passes lounge. we got, you know, seven big screen TVs, 200 inch HD projector that tonight, national championship game, Michigan. That's and right. No better place to be than here. Who, who, you, who you got in that game? You, you got Michigan or you got Washington? Everything in my 
body told me, like, why wouldn't Michigan crush this team? Which makes me think maybe Washington's going to win. Yeah. I, like, I, I, think, like, I think the Wolverines I, are up five and a half. That's, that's the spread. I know, but, in like, but it's like the fact that that's not 11 makes me think Washington might win. Hmm. You know, like Vegas doesn't like to lose money because everything in my soul told me that was going to be a 24, 10, 27, 17, 20, you know, Michigan winning, controlling the game, sacking Penix 50 times, getting a couple interceptions and just ground and pound. And maybe that's how it turns out. But if it turns, if it's going to be it's 55 was the over to ha- over under, which is high. Like yeah. if, it's a, if, if there's 55 total points, Washington wins. <laughs> that was what it told me. It's going to so, be fun. I don't know. Nothing would surprise me. It was just, that was my theory. Cause when I first saw, I was like, ah, oh, this game's going to suck. Michigan's just going to pound them. You know, they don't have the defense to stand up to it and maybe they won't, but I don't know. It'll be interesting. It'll be yeah. fun. Yeah, totally. I think I'm pulling for Washington just because, you know, Michigan <laughs> been there so many times over the years, always in the spotlight. So we'll yep. see. We will see. Well, awesome, man. Awesome. Well, dude, we, uh, we appreciate the time today that you spent with us, man. This is, this has been awesome course man anytime let's do it again yeah we support you and you know this is a mobile studio and so gets pulled behind the truck so we need to come to g vegas yeah man there Roll check out here check out your crib there <laughs> bell was yeah. saying your studio is nice man so yeah, we appreciate no. the time man love what you're doing out there keep on grinding man and we're going to keep promoting people your way love you brand oh, i appreciate that yeah man thank you so much and uh you know, Instagram is the best place to find me. I answer almost every DM, even though I get too many of them. And uh, I only don't answer you if you like, just write something stupid. But yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, at Ryan Alford on all the platforms. That's it. Awesome. Well, we'll put that in the show notes and, uh, you know, drive people your way. But appreciate it, man. And uh, we'll do it again for sure. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Awesome. Peace. <laughs> Thanks for listening and joining us on the Love Your Brand podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode and remember, share the love.